Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Drum Network podcast. I'm senior reporter for tech at the Drum, Chris Sutcliffe. Influencers are big business, and they're increasingly recognized as genuine changemakers by mainstream media. They collectively make up one of the fastest growing marketing channels. And I'm sure that we can all think of some absolutely fantastic examples of influencer marketing done well. And on the other hand, some that potentially were not done so well. But the industry around them is increasingly specialized and wide ranging. So from a panel reflecting the breadth of the industry, I'm going to ask, what are the most exciting corners of that industry right now, and where's the smart work heading? And I'm delighted to be joined by a panel of three absolute experts in this, who I'm going to ask to introduce themselves now. Hey, so I am Kanita. Um, Kanita, like Rivita, because no one ever gets my name right. <laughs> I feel like you've said um, that a lot. I have, I have. So I am a global social media trainer for Jellyfish. So I train businesses all over the world in paid and organic social media strategy. Fantastic. And B. Hi, everyone. I'm B. Tregi. <clears throat> B like the letter. Uh, <laughs> I'm the VP of brand partnerships for Cycle. Uh, my job is to essentially pair brands with the most impactful and cultural talent. Um, I lead the influencer practice here at Cycle, which is an influencer and branded content studio. We come up with everything from strategy, creative, all the way through to paid, organic, um, and obviously negotiating uh, with all the right talent. <clears throat> Fantastic. And Robbie, we've had uh, a name that's like Rivita and a name that's like the letter. So what does Robbie <laughs> sound like? And also, what do you do? Robbie, like Mr. Blobby. And nice. Perfect. <laughs> I run Bump Agency. Um, and Bump Agency started as a Facebook group whose core goal was to identify the music that Shazam couldn't. And since then, we've launched um, an agency which connects brands to young people through music. And specifically what I'm interested in now is, is um, the economies of communities and why and how, in our belief, that influence marketing is dying in terms of trust and why aspirational is out and relatable is in. That is quite a mission statement. I'm sure we'll get into all of that as we go. But for now, B, I wondered, could you maybe give us a bit of a look at what the influencer agency client relationship looks like in 2022? To what extent is it almost codified and we know exactly what it looks like and how much of it is still in flux? Yeah, I think the biggest thing right now is making sure that you're understanding what your client's goals are. And then from there, taking a look at what are the right types of partners? What are the right platforms we should be looking at? It's sort of a mix of quantitative and, quanti and qualitative data. Um, we want to make sure we understand the demographics of who the talent is, um, where is their audience located, what interests do they have, but also understanding who are these people? Are they relatable? Are they aspirational? What type of content do they create? What is being said about them in the media? Um, and so making sure that we're doing a little bit of education as we're sort of, you know, walking our clients through why this makes mm. sense, why influencers are going to impact your business in a positive way. Um, I think the biggest change in 2022 is making sure that clients are really leaning into the influencers creative chops, allowing them to really put forth their ideas and make it a collaborative creative environment, um, where in the past, it's sort of been clients come up with a brief, influencers go do this. Um, and then when that performs negatively, uh, the clients are upset. So this is really embracing, we're partnering with influencers who are brands of their own um, and making sure that we're putting forth creative that speaks to all audiences. Mm. 
See, I think that's fascinating. And we've definitely had a couple of pitches recently on the drum. Exactly, exactly about that, about really using the influencers' creative um, abilities themselves rather than sort of dictating to them what the brand wants to do. Um, Ganita, to what extent then do you think there is still education to be done around that relationship and and where the strengths really, really lie between those three different players? Yeah, I think I really like what you, you said then and how I typically have worked with influencers in the past is making them an extension of of my team so it's not transactional and that's where personally I think you have more authentic relationships I would also say the word influencer has changed significantly Mm. like what is an influencer because well how do you mean I talk pardon how do you mean sorry so influencer is someone typically or we know of having a huge following. Mm. Okay. But now I say we are working from a, an agency point of view with people that are creators, people that represent a certain topic and they don't necessarily have to have loads and loads of followers. They just need to be authentic mm. to be that business and also employees today. I, I think I'd really like to talk a lot more about employee advocacy and, and tapping into to that network especially when you're looking at um, representing different um, minorities as well, because your employees can speak for them. I think, think, again, that's something that we've seen a lot, a a wider recognition of, let's say, the idea that Mm. we need sort of advocates rather than those kind of huge, almost impersonal influences. But that leads neatly, I think, onto what you were saying, Robbie, which is the idea that you need authenticity above all else. That word's come up a couple of times now. Could you just explain what your sort of ethos is around that? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the word influencer post fire festival has become a little bit icky, and a lot of people, especially from the music community, who are in, who incredibly precious and rightly so over their own brand image, are, are very worried about appearing as such. Um, and the word which has, which I feel replaces it more neatly at the moment, is uh, community or what we're kind of calling the, the commune, commune economy. Influencers or people or talent with, with social followings, no matter micro or, or macro, have their social media profiles spread across Twitch, Discord, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, WhatsApp groups, uh, offline events. And I think for brands, it's about how do they interact with all of those groups mm. as an entirety, rather than a very much a transactional one Instagram post, what does that get me? What's the return on the spend there? I think that's the framework which I look at. So it's almost looking yeah. at the, let's say the, oh, sorry, go on, Kanita. I was going to say, can I ask Mr. Blobby, aka Robbie, <laughs> a question on that? I'd be interested to hear your view. So uh, as an artist I follow um, called Fred again, and he put a post up last night saying exclusive content, join my Discord. Um, and I know about Discord because I've trained gaming clients, but I've never actually joined as a person to access that content. And I thought that was a really interesting platform um, and definitely see it as an emerging trend, especially in that that music space. I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on that and how, I guess, businesses could tap into it more. Um, yeah, disclaimer, me and Kanita have never met, but <laughs> interestingly... Um, Fred again is, is Atlantic Records, one of our clients. 
And Fred, again, specifically, is one of our clients. So, the um, listeners are never going to buy it. They're never going <laughs> to buy it. That's too big of a like, I, I don't know how you, you you managed to get so on the money. So oh, and by coincidence but, uh, as well, a lot of bees work is done around that area <laughs> as well, of course. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I think from the music angle, which is where we've come from and where we've grown out of, um, Discord, like Reddit, like Zoom, like Slack, like OnlyFans, have experienced massive growth over the pandemic. And... As a result, young people who aren't going to a lot of the festivals, which are underselling at the moment, they're looking for identity in online communities. Um, we've just done a piece of research with a former head of Insights from MTV. And we interviewed a thousand mainstream music consumers and 600 more underground, more hardcore music consumers. A lot of them were Fred again fans, actually. And we tried to look at what were the kind of main differences between these two sets and the hardcore music fans. And I think this goes across all forms of culture, whether sport, fashion, music, gaming, people with passion points, they tend to flock to online communities. Um, and that's where their identity can be formed. We spoke to one DJ who who'd told us, you know, she found it easier to come out, come out as gay on, on YouTube and to have friends rather than amongst their peers in person. So I mm. think for Gen Z online communities are really important when establishing that online identity uh, and discord is, is a key aspect of that we're, we're currently mining discord for the hottest up-and-coming communities so when i was struggling to make a living with my facebook group i had no blueprint to make a living i'm now trying to provide that for the discord discord communities mm. um so there's a quite a rounded roundabout way of i'm not even sure if i answered your question but that is kind of what's on my mind at the moment well, regardless, I think that what you've done in there is teed up a lot of other talking points we can we can discuss, because one of the things that I wanted to really get into, beyond the kind of the platforms that people use, is the extent to which we think about these creators as being an extension of a community and almost a, a brand's way of communicating with that community in a very sort of realistic and authentic way. Before we get into that, B, I wondered what is sort of your... I suppose, take on these on platforms like Discord that aren't necessarily what people think about when we consider influencer marketing. I think it sort of tees up both of your questions. Um, similarly, we have seen, you know, previously clients were looking at vanity metrics, likes, mm. impressions, views, but really the true value is in the comments because that's where they're engaging. That's where you're really seeing how much influence do these people have, how engaged are their audiences and what are they saying? And so in order to people, in order for these influencers to further drive that engagement, they're tapping into these smaller, more niche communities, even the patrons of the world where they're actually having to have people pay to get exclusive content. It just allows for a further connection and it allows clients to understand, I can actually tap into this very engaged community that this influencer has a lot of trust amongst these people, it's almost like word of mouth. It's hearing, you know, your favorite products. It's hearing the best things that you've heard on, the, you know, in, in music from your internet best friend. Mm. And that goes a really long way. And we saw, we saw a huge shift in people feeling connected to these influencers really over the pandemic when people were sitting at home, just on their phones, consuming, consuming, because we were in our homes. We, we couldn't leave. And that's really where that trust started to grow exponentially. Mm. I think that's fascinating so I as well. Think, yeah. And I think, you know, the discords of the world and everything, because it's more niche, more personal, we're only going to continue to see those things grow. And it's a place where you can do almost a lot of market research. We've started to, to have our clients, sure, post on social channels, 
but also we have an engaged community that will take that will take part in polls. They'll answer questions like, hey, which song was your favorite? And it's essentially doing like a mini research group um, amongst your influencer community. It's it's crazy. I think that's that's so interesting. We were speaking to Reddit not too long ago, and they were saying that they're trying to transition away from being, you know, considered a social platform to being a community platform. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about there about that move away from vanity metrics. So I'm going to throw out a question to the to the panel. I don't know who wants to take this first, but to what extent then do we are we looking at almost micro influencers or have, uh, you know um, ambassadors for smaller communities rather than those great huge demographics as being the future? of influence marketing as being um, almost the the key investment point for a lot of brands now is actually identifying people, even if they do have smaller communities than those vast, vast, you know, 16 to 25 demographics that we would have looked for on social in the past. I think um, just got something short to say here, but I do think it does depend on the objective. Mm. Um, because I don't think macro influencers are redundant. But to build trust long term, I believe you need to be working with authentic voices and those authentic voices are community based people. For example, if you are a pharma brand, don't pay someone millions and millions of pounds to promote a product, work with a healthcare professional mm. on TikTok. Maybe they have a few hundred, few thousand followers. People will trust them because they're credible, but it does depend on the objective. <clears throat> So it's less yeah. of a sort of a broadcast method and actually much more of a communication method about getting some specific information across in a trusted way. Yeah, that's similar to how we approach it. I, I completely agree with Kanita. The, it, depending on the client's KPIs, if they're looking for that mass awareness, great, let's partner with someone that has a massive reach. But if you're really looking to drive consideration, drive engagement, you're going to want to lean into those micros because they're relatable, but still aspirational. And because they have that sense of trust, because when you're looking at people that you feel like I can relate to, let's be honest, we can't relate to those like massive celebrities because they live wildly different lives, but we're learning about new products. But hearing from my favorite influencer that maybe has a hundred thousand followers, maybe I can afford, you know, that mm. t-shirt that I saw. So I it's, think, it's, it's very contingent on the objective of the client. I think that anecdotally as well, we, we've seen that so much. And then I think about my own purchasing habits based on, you know, people I trust online. And it always tends to be kind of the figurehead of a much smaller community. You know, people who I've watched on Twitch play games who recommended something to me. It's not going to sort of, um, you know, somebody who's got billions and billions of followers to suddenly go, oh, look, they've thrown off a recommendation off, off, at the drop of a hat. So, Robbie, to what extent then is do you, do you feel like clients are – and brands are moving towards a recognition that that is something that is more valuable than that kind of huge broadcast model, or is there still, as Kanita says, almost a um, a consideration of what needs to be done and when? Um, so we're we're a small startup agency, to be honest. It was just me, yeah, the last start of last year, and, and now there's nine of us. So we don't oh, nice. we don't have the budgets to work with huge influencers. We we haven't got to that stage yet. But I agree with both being Kanita that they aren't redundant at all. Um, mm. But this is the, the kind of game park, the ballpark we play in. Um, and I mean, we've come up with a bit of a blueprint for working with these micro, I mean, micro or, or communities. And, and the first is getting a nuanced understanding, making you do your, your, your relevant research to, to invest in the future of your brand in, in the right kind of communities. The second is to make sure you have the, the main community leaders co-signing the campaign. Mm. So it gets credibility. 
thirdly, we don't just want them to co-create it, we want them to co-deliver it. So why can't you hire some of the community members to take part in the project and organize the event and produce the content and attend the events rather than just siphoning off small budgets, put your money where your mouth is and get them to co-deliver the whole thing. And ultimately is get them to be long-term allies, not short-term sponsors. So from the outset, really make sure that the brand is putting the money where the mouth is once again, and not just being flash in the pan. And then finally, just iterate that, that involvement within that community and making sure that you're really can reconsidering what you've done um, and come back to it and then just start again. And I think two, one really good example from the music industry always is Rebel Music Academy. Um, Rebel Music Academy platformed a lot of artists and, and started a lot of their careers. And it's a, it's hard for a fizzy drink to gain credibility, a high sugary drink to gain credibility within underground music scenes, but Rebel did it impeccably. So mm. that is a, a key a key case study and something yeah, we really enjoy. It, it's so interesting how Red Bull has actually gained authenticity across so many different sectors and different platforms just by investing in it and making sure that people knew that the content was created by influencers within those spaces. Um, do we think that there's, can anybody name sort of any brands who, other than Red Bull, who they think are doing this really, really well at the moment is actually speaking directly and authentically to, to communities across social platforms? I'm not going to name a specific. Oh, sorry, hang on. Or, sorry, that's oh, go ahead. Me, do you want to go first? You, I'll you. you go first. Sorry. Yeah. I wasn't going to name a specific brand, but I think Robbie touched on a really important point because it's something that we try and educate all of the brands on. If we are investing money, you know, into an, an influencer partnership, a talent partnership, we want them to feel invested outside of just like this specific campaign. And one of the things that we've started to do across the board is hey, if you're a musician, what upcoming music releases do you have? Do you have an album drop? How can we sort of tap into that and show you that we're going to support you outside of just, you know, this social campaign that we're doing together? We want it to feel like there's an investment on both sides. It's ultimately like the best possible working relationship because you're looking at longer term partnerships, bigger impact that you're able to, to really have on your business. And ultimately the creative is, the, the actual creator is going to want to then go you know, the extra mile for this brand because they're seeing the value that the brand is bringing to them. And I think that's where Red Bull has really done an awesome job because the people that they are partnering with are invested in them the same way that Red Bull is invested, the way the same way that Red Bull is, is made the investment on their own. So I, I think it's really having that two-way relationship. I think there's a lot of brands that are doing it well, um, but obviously with these bigger brands, you're able to see it, you know, at the forefront. Mm. I was I was going to talk about employee advocacy again here, which is slightly different, and yeah. it's great for B two B brands too. Um, and we haven't spoke about B two B brands much, and this is a um, B two C example. But Jim Shark again, if you look at Ben Francis and you look at his team, um, head of social, head of brand, they built that brand because of their people. The product could be average mm. um, and it doesn't matter because people are buying into them. They're buying into his story. He's an entrepreneur. He's just turned 30 and they're making a lot of noise in the industry. So I personally think they're a great example of a brand that is using influencer marketing in a different way. And that's what I mean about the, the change in what influencer marketing is. Their, their employees have hundreds of thousands of followers combined between them. And again, they're not saying anything special, but they're giving them a platform to talk about stuff. And mm. that has helped long-term grow, grow that brand. 
So I suppose that the the question there is at what point do you stop talking about influencers being kind of people in that I was going to say people in their own right, but that sounds terrible. Um, about being sort of individuals who have just amassed this community around them and speak about them as you know part and parcel of a brand's appeal. To what extent then do we think that influencer marketing going forward is going to be as you mentioned, kind of much more about that brand advocacy thing where an individual is so associated with the brand rather than sort of a, a creator just uh, in general? Or is there, I suppose, that the real question is, you know, will there be space for both those types of influencers, the brand advocate and the individual creator who can turn their hand to a number of things? Shall I answer? Yeah, if you want to go, yeah, no, if you want to go for that one and then I'll, yeah, well, I've got another question lined up after that, so. Uh, yeah, I, I think, again, it's always back to the objective. If we think of important conversations in the industry at the moment, it's about diversity, inclusion, culture, and the best approach there would be to work with your employees. Mm. Um, if you're looking to get um, product in hand, maybe you will work with macro. If you are looking, macro influencers, if you are looking to reach lots of people globally and it needs to be long-term and you want to build trust, maybe you'll go with nano. So I, I do think we always have to go back to the objective, but what I am finding super interesting is people actually using their employees because they speak the truth. And especially from a B2B perspective. Nice. Fantastic. Um, so we've spoken a lot about upcoming, well, about some platforms there, including Discord, which is something that I thought we'd have to see up in this next question. But to what extent then do we think that there are really exciting developments happening in platforms outside of the ones that we traditionally associate with influence marketing? So Facebook, your your Instagrams, where should we be looking for the next great evolution in influence marketing to come from in terms of platforms? B, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. <clears throat> I think it really depends on, on the client objective. It's sort of Kanita and I have sort of been drilling that one home yeah. <laughs> throughout this, this conversation. Um, but I think the biggest piece is not every platform is right for every client. Yeah. Clients will oftentimes come to us and say, I want to be on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And we're like, well, wait a second. Let's understand who are you trying to reach? What is the objective? And where do we feel this is going to be most impactful? In some instances, leaning into a Discord is going to be much better because you have that personal connection, that trust, that engagement. But if you're looking for mass awareness, then Discord isn't necessarily that platform. Um, we have seen a huge shift. Um, obviously, everyone is wanting to be on TikTok right now. And I think the reason for that is because really anyone has the ability to go viral there. Um, things can take off very, very quickly. And TikTok has done a really great job at prioritizing their creators. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so it's important um, because look at what happened to Vine years ago. We saw they weren't prioritizing creators and creators says, we're going to stop creating on your platform. I, and, I, and I, I will never, ever, yeah. ever get over the loss of Vine. That was, it was, I would it spend hours. It was amazing. I would spend hours watching Vine compilations after the fact, late lamented Vine. But yeah, like you said, it was, it was a sort of not taking care of the creators. Do you think there's anybody who's doing that really, really well, actually putting the creator economy at the heart of their, their pitch to influencers? I think TikTok is doing a good job. Instagram is certainly trying to do that now with, with sort of like a rev share that they're, they're exploring. Um, but I think it's just really interesting to see, you know, how the platforms are treating all of their creators differently, because if creators are seeing, hey, I'm seeing a lot more engagement, a lot more impressions, more community engagement when I post on this channel, they're going to start leaning into that channel a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's probably the reason why we've seen a lot of TikTok content be supplemented onto Instagram Reels. 
we, you know, we didn't see it the other way around. Um, so I think that's interesting. And, and I think based on, you know, where the clients are, are trying to go, I think clients will start to explore new platforms, but I don't think everyone's going to go all in on one. I think there's going to be some on Patreon, some on Twitch, some mm-hmm. on Discord, um, you know, Snapchat may have a resurgence, who knows? Uh, I think it's interesting that Instagram basically said, we're going to deprioritize content that hasn't been created exclusively for reels. So I think they did that in part to kind of stamp out on that cross posting that was going on. But Robbie, what do you think of as being, you know, you mentioned Discord, but from the kind of music perspective, are there other sites, you mentioned OnlyFans as well, are there other sites that are particularly effective for creatives within the music and sort of entertainment space? Yeah, small disclaimer, I've never used OnlyFans. This is just something which... Uh, but I've has- seen some, but I've seen, you know, create artistic creators are increasingly moving on to platforms like that that do allow direct really? payments. Not necessarily OnlyFans, but, you know, some of the other ones that allow direct payments as part and parcel of their key appeal. So is that something that influences within that entertainment space and creators who are looking to um, do things that are, I suppose, entertainment-based? Is that something that you think is going to be a priority for them? Yeah, so we specialize specifically in music, fashion, gaming, and sport. We like hyper niche, nerdy um, areas, and we like to knuckle down on that um, and kind of look at that those people with that esoteric interest in the, the weirdest parts of the internet. Um, nice. But I, I think the framing is a little could could be done a little bit better mm. um, of late. So the way we're looking at these these bunch of social channels and whether they're there's always going to be new social channels coming up. We're, we're calling this the meta community. So sorry if you're using the word meta again, but <laughs> we kind of feel that the model of brand community is outdated. There needs to be a new framework to understand how to build thri- thriving communities. And they're fluid, dynamic, fragmented, um, not speaking to a single archetypal demographic, that overlapping ecosystem of different subgroups of fans, consumers, detractors, and commentators. Um, and Discord is certainly one of those. Um, Reddit is certainly one of those. TikTok, they're, they're, they're all part of this kind of this kind of um, system. But for me, the community ones are the most interesting because you can get real feedback from people re- really quickly. Mm. Um, like on LinkedIn, if, if, if any of you post on LinkedIn nowadays, everyone's so sugar-sweet, saccharine <laughs> towards the code. You can't put a foot wrong on yeah. LinkedIn. But if you post the same piece of content to Reddit, someone will try and take you down a bit critically. And I don't know, I, I think there's a, there's a, each platform has a different kind of honesty um, yeah. to it. I feel like there, there is a need on LinkedIn for people to try and take people down a peg or two. The number of times you get those like really aspirational posts about following your dreams and stuff, and it's just, like you said, completely saccharine, and there's no real substance to the post. So potentially we do need somebody to come and like smack the hammer down a little bit on some of those, Instagram, on some of those LinkedIn posts, rather. Um, so and, so, and then, and then back to, that's one of the points which was mentioned earlier. Um, I think the fact that Coachella had their first Discord community this year mm. speaks volumes to the fact that brands want their customers, their clients, their members to connect outside of their product and they can be involved in that product journey, whether it's like B said, the product development or it's getting involved and in offering themselves for, for marketing services. Um, and there's a lot of talk about Web3 and a decentralized internet, but I think a lot of it already exists in front of us within these communities and that there's a chance for brands to tap into that which doesn't yet exist and we can we can add crypto to that but it doesn't really mm. add anything in my my view at, at the moment we, we've got a lot of it in front of us 
So I think that one, as a, as a penultimate question, rather, a lot of the efficacy of influencer marketing is based on the ability to, is still to sort of lead people down the start of the very, the very start of the purchase funnel. So to what extent do we balance the need to be authentic with that? Um, I suppose, Kinesia, it's different for brand advocacy, but for, say, people who are streaming on Twitch and they do a promotional stream for a game, to what extent then do we still think of those people as being authentic, even though they are there is a commercial imperative to what they're doing as well. Is it possible to be both authentic and also to entreat on behalf of those brands? If you're choosing the right partner, it is. Mm. You know, if 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 you're, you know, if Robbie historically plays, you know, sport, sport games, I'm not going to go ahead and give him Animal Crossing. It yeah. just doesn't make sense. And so making sure that you're picking the right person. And I think that's, you know, a lot of the upfront conversations that we have to have with both client and talent to make sure that it feels authentic for this person to actually use this product, to play this game, you know, to wear this piece of clothing, um, because ultimately it should feel very natural for this integration to happen. And like Robbie touched on a very specific point where sure, do clients want to drive sales? Absolutely. That's like the ultimate goal, but also they're all trying to build communities, every single one of them. There are brands that have really dedicated communities, but for the most part, there are brands that are trying to build loyal fan groups and they're still in the very early stages. And the easiest way in to do that is partnering with the right talent. Mm. It's, it's like someone, I've been approached before and I'm no one special, but I've been approached before to test out tools because I'm mm. a trainer right? and I speak to people globally so that makes sense so test out social media tools maybe if somebody else in a broader marketing role was approached with that it it maybe wouldn't make sense now in that relationship i might not want a payment maybe i just want free access to show my delegates and that's all that matters so i think it's shifting our mindset there as well it's not always going to be transactional especially if it's an authentic relationship Mm. Yeah, definitely. I would love that tool to show my a free access, you know, for a year to show my my clients, my learners, my delegates. That's all I need. I don't need payment. That's a, that's a good example of that, um, Kanita. So, Black Artist Database is started as a Google Doc um, after BLM and in in that kind of event in lockdown, and it started as a document to does what it says in the tin, really just provide a database for black artists under the slogan, every day is a good day to support a black artist. Um, And this Google doc blew up overnight and people started populating this thing massively. And then Ableton, which is a music production software, came in and provided the funding for black artist database to put on workshops and events and series. Um, And now that is an an organization, it's a limited company and it can continue to support people in its mission. And there is financial reward for the, uh, for the founders who can kind of continue their mission, but there's also training and resources. Um, and I think that's the same like the RBMA model. Um, if you can put, uh, I'm what Kenita's saying, if you can put, doesn't necessarily need to be money, but it can be resources for the community and you're kind of participating in that culture rather than just, yeah, kind of taking away from it. And so as a final question for the main body of the talk, what do you think of as being the most effective piece of influencer marketing if we're, still using the term implementer, uh, of the past couple of years. It could be on B2B, B2C. It could be, you know, something that is much more transactional, as we've mentioned. I really like, so it's user-generated content, which I still believe are influencers. Yeah. Shot on iPhone. Yeah, that was everywhere. 
and it and it's it's timeless. It's still being used now. I love it because they had a problem. The problem was people thought that iPhones take rubbish pictures. So put it to the hands of the community to actually shoot content. Mm. And then they've utilized that out of home, on social, through other means of advertising, which ultimately is the solution to the problem. And it's so real. It's so authentic. And um, yeah, it's it's successful <laughs> still now, years later. So that's one of my favorites. I use it in my training all the time. And also, if you're one of the people whose art was chosen to be, you know, on a massive poster on the tube, you kind of go, yes, I've it. made it. I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> and B, what would you say is some, something you've seen influence marketing wise that you think that's been fantastic? Uh, I think Aerie is a great example of this. Aerie is, you know, a fashion, <clears throat> a fashion retailer. Um, they really leaned into putting real people in their ads, um, making sure that, you know, we weren't editing you know, people to be skinnier, smoother skin, all these different things. And so it was really leaning into authentic and real people mm. um, that look like us. And seeing that carried through in, you know, their national campaigns that are on these massive billboards in the middle of New York City, all the way through to the actual partners they're using, where we're seeing diversity um, in ethnicity, in age, in body. Mm. I think that's been really great, um, especially in sort of this world where social can be looked at so toxic. Um, they're sort of going in with like a very positive, trying to make a positive impact um, for females, you know, across the globe. So I think that's been a great, a, a great example um, because again, fashion can be so one-sided. Yeah. Um, so it's great to see a little bit more of a refreshing take and overall just like seeing the impact that they've made for um specifically a younger demographic has been amazing nice that is that's one of the ones that happens to be authentic and aspirational at the same time um so that's really good to hear and robbie what would you say from your perspective is one of the most effective pieces of influence marketing you've seen um well i feel that as i've mentioned before community marketing community marketing is the the marketing that gets me excited yeah. more so than straight out and out influence. And that's how I, I dub it. And I think the iPhone example is brilliant. Um, the, the black artist database is probably my favorite example, but after what can to be said, I feel that there needs to be some kind of authenticity checklist or check mm. just to make sure that once a creative strategy comes up, like, are we checking ourselves across those to make sure that we're actually, because every single, all of these best campaigns come back to the, like an element or a theme of being real or yeah. Connecting with the community and it, it it feels like if there's, there's a safe checklist for people to look back on when they're creating their strategy, it could be a bit yeah, a more, more positive, more diverse, brighter future than kind of the campaigns from, from bygone. Well, I mean, God, that could be its own separate podcast. In fact, it probably should be. So we'll try and get you all back for that in a, in, a, in a while. But for now, thank you all so much for having the conversation. That's been really, really interesting. And I hope that everybody who's been listening will have taken as much away from it as I have. But as a very, very final question, we like to ask all our guests, where's the best place for people to reach you? If they want to bend your ear about any of the creative campaigns that you've mentioned, about some of your work, or even just to get in contact with you to to talk about, um, to spark a talking point about anything that you've mentioned. So Kanita, where's the best place for people to reach you oh, you can slide into my dms on uh, linkedin um that's definitely the best place to reach me nice fantastic and b uh same here you can find me on linkedin at b Taregi. fantastic and robbie and i would say linkedin is also the best and also to download our 
new report community, the new influence marketing from bump.agency. Very nice. Always be closing. So love it. (laughs) (laughs) And so thank you so much to the three of you for taking part in this discussion. And thank you to everybody who's been listening as well. Please do stick around on the drum.com where we regularly talk about influencer marketing, the creator economy, and all aspects that go into making influencer marketing feel much more authentic. But for now, thank you so much and goodbye. Goodbye.